Good morning and welcome to High Point Church Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be here with you worshiping online today, whether you're worshiping from here in Atlanta or cities uh, around the United States or the world. This is the last Sunday of the month for us. Uh, and that's an online service where we worship together online. Uh, we do that each month. So great to be here with you today. Let me start off with a question. What embarrasses you? Okay, what what embarrasses you or what has embarrassed you? You know, the, everybody gets embarrassed by different things. You know, the, there's the, you know, the spinach in your teeth moment, you know, where you've been talking and you you realize, oh my gosh, no one said anything and you're horrified. You know, that thing was just <laughs> hanging out of your teeth, right? Parents embarrass us. Children, kids, it, it doesn't matter how old you are, your parents always have a special ability to kind of just embarrass you a little bit, right? They can share stories about you that you don't want anybody to know or to hear. Uh, your kids, if you have children and you're watching, sometimes your children can embarrass you. Siblings, family, right? Oftentimes it's the relationships that are closest to us that have the ability to embarrass us, to shame us the most. My dad, who's no longer with us, right? Um, he, he, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain this. He wanted Christmas lights up on the house, but he never wanted to actually put the work in to get the Christmas lights up on the house. So Christmas time would come, he'd go open the garage, he'd get the box, I mean like Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation, just the ball of lights. And he'd walk over to the electrical outlet at the front of the home, he'd plug one end in, and then he would literally take the ball of lights and just plop them on the bush, okay? As in like, didn't do anything with them didn't make nice, clean lines, didn't like fluff them around or like tuck them into the branches of the bush or anything like that, not at all. And it looked horrible, okay? It looked terrible. It was the embarrassment of the neighborhood. We were the shame of the neighborhood until my sister, my older sister finally approached my dad and she said, dad, you have to stop this. Either let me put up the Christmas lights or for the love of everything holy, let's not put any up, right? Because when you're in middle school and high school, you know what you don't want more than anything else is to be noticed for moments like this, right? You don't want to be seen or stand out as that family, right? Who just has the atrocious Christmas lights. And that was us. My dad just did not care. He didn't care. And it was embarrassing, right? We all have stories like that. We all have moments like that. Um, the reality is, if Christmas lights are the greatest source of embarrassment, or even taking it a step further, the, the greatest source of family shame, then we're doing pretty good, right? But the fact is, everybody knows embarrassment and shame on a far deeper level than just the way Christmas lights are thrown up on a couple bushes. We all have things that we have experienced that we don't want people to really know about. It's what we call shame, 
right? We feel ashamed about it. And, 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 and oftentimes it's the condition of our lives that produces this thing that we, we call shame, right? It might be, it might be that you, 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 you know, you're looking around and your, your family's just not doing very well. And you're ashamed by it. And you don't want people to know that your marriage is hurting. You don't want people to know that your kids aren't doing very well. Uh, sometimes it's the condition of our life. It's, it's being single. It's being, you know, it's not being married. And you feel ashamed by it. You shouldn't. But sometimes you're made to feel that way, right? You, you get to the family, you know, the family table and everyone's asking you and you almost just feel this sense of like, you know, something's wrong with me because I'm dot, dot, dot. And you feel a sense of shame over it. So you want, what do you want to do? You want to hide. That's what shame produces. Shame produces a fight or flight response in all of us. And many times you either get defensive as you begin to feel shame or you want to run and hide because of your shame. We see this pattern in scripture from beginning to end as people are dealing with the condition of their lives what do they try to do? More often than not, we see a picture of them trying to hide. And who is it that we hide from more than anybody else? We hide from God. We hide from God's presence. We're going to explain this a little bit more, but, but shame is, is a thing. In the past several weeks, we've talked about God's love for different kinds of people, the, the religious, those who think they can earn it all, uh, the rich, those who think they have it all, uh, the rejected, those who think they'll never have anything at all. And today we're talking about the wrecked, the wreckage of our lives and those who think they have destroyed it all. So we're looking at the religious, the rich, the rejected, and today the wrecked. And what does it look like for God to love us in the midst of our shame, in the midst of a desire that we have to kind of hide what's going on and make no mistake about it. Every single person has a propensity to do this. Don't think that you are impervious to this or somehow removed from this. Every single person has to deal with a measure of shame in their life. And what does God do with it? How does God minister to us? What are we called to do in these moments? That's the purpose of this message today. What do we do with our shame? So glad you asked. Turn to John chapter 4 today as we're going to get into a very famous encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. It is the longest encounter that we have in writing between Jesus and a person in the entire book of John, which should tell us that there's some great, that there's a lot of importance in this, in this encounter. I'll, fair warning, there's a lot of text. I'm going to read it, right? I'm going to skip a couple portions and hop through a few, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Lean in today. Where you're, where you're watching from, as you're drinking your coffee, as you're sitting on the couch, you're watching from your phone, lock in, get your Bible, and let's get into the text today. John chapter 4, here we go. Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So illustration here, okay? Or, or not even illustration, it, it, it's a real life example in this moment. Jesus is, is, is tired from walking. It's the heat of the day and he gets to, he gets to a, a Samaritan town um, uh, called Sychar and he goes to the well and he's sitting there and he's waiting and, and the woman comes, we don't even have her name and, and she's there at noon to draw water from the well and Jesus asks her for a drink and she says, um, hey, I'm a Samaritan and like, you're a Jew. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, a little history here, because Samaritans and Jews hate each other, traditionally speaking. See, Israel had been divided up into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was Jewish people. And the southern kingdom was Jewish people. But the northern kingdom was attacked by Assyria. And over time, the Assyrians who began to dwell in the northern kingdom married Jewish people that, be, that were living there. And, and so families became assimilated. And, and the Jewish people there right, had relationships and children that were no longer purely, from a heritage standpoint and an ethnic standpoint, Jewish. And so the Southern Kingdom Jews looked at the Northern Kingdom Jews who began to be called Samaritans, and they looked at them with total disdain because they were no longer pure, Right? They were defiled. They were no longer God's people because they had mixed with other nations. And so they looked down upon them. If you've ever heard the terminology, or of course you have, when you, you, know, you try to make someone feel ashamed, you should be ashamed of yourself. Right, we, we say that at times. But instead of them being ashamed for their actions, Jews wanted Samaritans to feel ashamed for their heritage and their ethnicity. We don't know, we don't know that this woman felt shame over that. We don't know how she felt regarding, you know, Jesus being a Jew and, and she being a Samaritan. We don't, we don't know how she actually felt, but she knew that there should at least minimally be separation between the two. How is it that you're at this well and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? This doesn't work. See, shame has a way of producing separation. That's what shame does, right? It, it, it drives, it hides. And even as Jesus is beginning to engage this woman in conversation and he's beginning to engage her in relationship, you know what she does? Over and over again, she begins to dismiss, right? She, she begins to sidestep. She gets a little bit cynical in the passage that we'll read here in just a little bit. She's actually a bit sarcastic, theologians believe, uh, in one of her responses to Jesus. 
She's dodging what's going on, and, and, and shame does that. When you don't want to deal with, that, with what's actually happening in your heart or how you feel or what you're going through, you run, you hide, you dodge. You, you, you oftentimes can feel angry. You can feel defensive. People in their shame become addicted to things because they're, they're trying to just deal with how they feel without actually going to God about it. And so we do all these things to try to deal with the shame that's knocking on the door of our hearts. Some people go to the gym and live there. Other people be become addicted to substances. Other people find, you know, uh, they try to find peace and whatever. Pick your thing. The thousand and one things that we do in order to try to deal with our shame. Let's keep reading. By the way, the root of shame, I didn't explain this, I didn't mention this, means to cover or to hide. And when you read the very first moment with Adam and Eve in the Bible, and they sin against God in the garden, I love this text because it illustrates again even what this woman begins to do. And it's what all of us do. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible tells us that they did what? They hid in the trees. God came looking for them. He says, Adam, where are you? And his response was, I was, I was afraid. I was ashamed. So we hid. I don't want to have to deal with you, God, in this. So I hid. That's what shame does. John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answers the woman after she kind of dismisses him and says, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. You know, you, you really shouldn't be asking me for a drink. Thanks, but no thanks. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become within them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. At other instances in the scriptures, Jesus says when you are filled with the Holy Spirit that it's like rivers of living water welling up inside of you. We see the same picture of Jesus. He's saying, listen, I've got a water, right, that's going to blow your mind. It's going to satisfy that thirst. It's like a river of living water, he says at other times, referencing yet again the well picture here. In John chapter 4, verse 15, the woman says to him, Sir, give me that water. And that sounds awesome. So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. In just a few moments here, we get to the real heart of what's happening in this equation, in this moment with 
Jesus and the woman at the well. We see shame. I mean, it's doing, it's, it's working. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And, and inside this woman, she's, she's sidestepping, she's dodging, she's putting off. Jesus comes to her, you know, and she, she initially sidesteps with, with, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Jesus then says, I've got water for you that's really going to satisfy your thirst. And she says, are you honestly greater than our ancestor Jacob? And it's a bit of, you know, it's, a, it's cynical, right? I, I relate to this. When your heart has become hardened to shame and, 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 and you've just, you've become, you know, you, you've just dealt with the weight of the condition of your life for so long. And imagine how people are treating you and thinking you, and sometimes not imagine. It's literally how people have treated you and how you've been you know, the, the cards that you've been dealt. You can grow cynical. You can live in shame and you don't even realize you're doing it. And, and are you greater than our, are you greater than Jacob? I mean, come on. And Jesus begins to explain a bit more and she says, okay, well, give me some of that then. And he says, well, go get your husband. She says, I'm not married. I don't have a husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're right. You don't have a husband. And now we get to the heart of things. He says, you've been married five times. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're with right now isn't your husband. In other words, he's addressing the condition of this woman's life. And in case you didn't know, she is a social outcast. And the only reason she would be drawing water at the height of the afternoon, at 12 o'clock at noon, is because she isn't allowed to go draw water with all the other women at the early part of the day or in the latter portion of the day. Either by her own choice or because she's told that she's not allowed to or she can't. She is a social outcast. She is rejected, right? She is the, the wreckage. She's the wreckage of her own life. She's made decisions here that aren't great. And we don't know all the details of them. We don't know why she has had five husbands, but we know that the situation at hand doesn't look good for her. And this is why she's going to draw water by herself. Rather than with friends, rather than with the other women in the community, which is customary. That's what she would have been doing. That's what she should have been doing. But shame causes you to do what? To hide. You don't want people to see you. You don't want to engage. You don't want interaction. You don't want to have to deal with what you're feeling on the inside. You don't want people to know. And so it's easier to just do this by yourself. I'll go at 12 o'clock. That's when I'll get my water and then I'll take it back home. I won't have to see anybody. I won't have to, people won't have to talk to me. People won't have to be unclean by being associated with me. And this is how we feel, isn't it? And some of you that are watching, you watch online primarily because you don't want to take that step of actually being in person at a church service. 
You feel that because in your mind, you can get a taste, you can get an experience, but you can do it without having to, to risk relationship, without people actually knowing you, without people having to get to know you. And so it feels safe. And, and, but the reality is, is that shame is knocking on the door of your heart and it's preventing you from really engaging in true community, God's community, his church. Some of you slip into the back at church, right? A church service and you, you sneak out as soon as you can because you don't want to deal with people. And it's more than just being an introvert, right? Or personality or, or something you got going on at church or after church. It's the, it's the shame that you're carrying that keeps you from really engaging in relationship. That's what shame does. You can literally be in a crowd and still be hiding on the inside. So what did Jesus do? There's a little bit of conversation here, and I want to encourage you to read it. I'm not going to read all of it today. Jesus begins to explain a bit of worship, and once again, the woman sidesteps a little bit, you know, about what it means to really worship God and to worship Him in spirit and truth. And she's like, you know what? One day, the Messiah is going to come, and He's going to straighten all this out, and He'll explain everything. And it, again, it's passive dismissal so that she doesn't really have to deal with what's going on. Jesus is addressing the condition of her life, the true source of shame in her life. And now he's beginning to call her to worship God, and she's sidestepping it. And once again, this is the pattern of humanity. You finally have an opportunity, right, for, for, the, for things to get straightened out. But rather than taking it because of shame, we just continue to dismiss. We, we continue to just live in, in our own little world. And it's easier. It doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's safe. I don't have to engage. I'll just keep it as it is. But Jesus just continues to knock and he continues to press. And, and, and she says, well, one day the Messiah is going to come. And he finally looks at her and he says in verse 25, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Boom. Pin drop. This is a moment. Jesus, by the way, very few times with this much clarity has Jesus announced his kingship, his messiahship. And yet in this moment, a woman, a Samaritan woman, and a Samaritan woman who is an absolute wreck on the inside, ashamed, an outcast, rejected, this is who Jesus chooses to reveal himself to. And when we talk about feeling shame, I want you to hear this. God loves you with an everlasting love, even in the midst 
of your life looking and feeling and being a wreck. In the same way that God came looking for Adam and Eve as they were hiding in the garden, Jesus came looking for this woman. It wasn't an accident that he chose this village. It wasn't an accident that he chose this moment. It wasn't an accident that this woman was coming to get her, her, her water jugs filled uh, at this moment. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to town to buy food and it would give them a private moment where ministry could take place, where there's gentleness and tenderness in something that's difficult, that's embarrassing, that's shameful. Jesus knew all of it and as Messiah steps in and graciously, kindly, lovingly ministers to her and brings her from a place of shame to a place of restoration. This is the Jesus that we worship. This is who he is. This is what Jesus does for you. And by the way, this isn't just a one-time moment. Jesus is doing this for you as well. Even as you are watching today, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, trying to draw you out of a place of hiding, out of a place of disengagement, out of a place of cynicism, out of shame, and into acceptance, into restoration, into experiencing his love. That's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus is still doing. Hebrews 12, 2 says that for the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's one of my favorite verses. I'm going to read it one more time. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross. At high point, we believe that Jesus took our sin, and he went to the cross, and he died the death that we deserved. For our sin, the punishment that we had incurred because of, of, of sinning against God Almighty. God's perfect, He's holy and righteous, and we're not. And we completely, you know, by our own desires, you know, we desire to be the king of our own life. And we sin against Him. We all do. All of us are, quote unquote, guilty of sin. But Jesus, He lived a perfect life on our behalf. To bring glory to the Father, glory to, to God Almighty. And he took our sin upon himself to the cross and he died the death that we deserved after living the life that we couldn't live. But here's the amazing thing. When the Bible says that Jesus, he scorned the shame of the cross, it wasn't just that it was the, the shame of Jesus being innocent, but dying the death of a criminal. Although, let's be honest, that's shameful. That Jesus had to do that. That Jesus was whipped. That a, a crown of thorns was pressed upon his head. That he's, that, that he's beaten. That he's spit upon. All these things are, are shameful things. Things for a criminal that he didn't do. 
He didn't deserve it. But that's not the shame that the Bible is referring to. The shame that Jesus scorned was literally the shame of all of our sin upon him. Every single wrongdoing, every single thought, every single action that you want to keep hidden, that you don't want people to know about, the, the secrets, the family secrets, the things that you're embarrassed by deeply on the inside, all of these things, Jesus took upon himself your sin, the shame of all of it. He took it upon the cross, and when he, with his final breath, looked up and said, it is finished, it was finished, meaning your sin was dealt with once and for all. But it wasn't just your sin, it was also the sting of that sin and the shame of that sin. So you can have your sin forgiven and still feel ashamed for your past and what you've done. But Jesus took not just your sin, but also the shame of it. That you might be fully restored to him. That you can walk with confidence as a son or daughter in the kingdom of God. You can hold your head up high. Despite what you've done, despite who you feel like you've been, Jesus changes you with that well of living water that comes inside of you. And he says, man, when you drink this, you're not going to be thirsty anymore. It changes you and it transforms you. You're no longer who you were. And therefore, your chin can be raised high. And you can walk with confidence before God Almighty as his son and his daughter. Your sin has been forgiven. The, 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 your sin has been uh, tossed as far as the east is from the west. Bible says you are as pure and white as snow and your shame has also been completely dealt with. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Because Jesus took your shame. That's the kind of love you have from your Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. That is amazing good news. See, he has hope for the, the rich. He has hope for the religious. He has hope for the rejected. And he has hope for those whose lives feel like a wreck. You've blown it. You've destroyed it. You've messed it up. I have great news for you. This isn't the last chapter. Jesus has the final say. He has the final word. And when he says that it's finished, he means it. He's taken your sin and he's taken the shame of your sin. So here's what you get to do, right? Shame is, is, is a nasty little thing, and it loves to come knocking on the door of your heart. Even after you feel free, you can take that deep breath, and you're, you know, ah, I, I know who I am, and it doesn't take long for Satan to kind of come and try to knock on the door of your heart and remind you who you used to be. And so sometimes you just need to remind yourself with three th simple things. Jesus took my sin. Jesus took my shame. And that's not who I am anymore. 
And that's your action step today. Whether you're new to faith or whether you've been here for a long time, every single person tries to dismiss and hide and get away at times from God's presence. And when you feel that, that is shame at work, whether you recognize it or not. And the next time you do catch it and you begin to feel it and you sense that, here's what you get to do. Maybe it's even literally right now. You begin to remind yourself of these three things. Jesus took my sin. Jesus took my shame. And that's not who I am anymore. I'm changed. I'm new. I'm a son and daughter in God's kingdom. Say it with me wherever you are today, right? Sitting on the couch, you can, or, or watching on your phone. Jesus took my sin. Say it to yourself. Jesus took my shame. And that's not who I am anymore. That's the truth. And the truth will set you free. Father, thank you for this moment together. Lord, as we look at your love for those who feel ashamed, for those who feel, uh, Lord, like they've just blown it, they've messed things up, we thank you that you have great news for, all, for us. God, we thank you for the story of the woman at the well. God, and what happened to her, and what we see Jesus doing, and the way he cared for her, and loved her, and the details of the story. The encounter, God, it's amazing to see your heart. And Lord, I pray even now that as people are watching and hearing uh, this message, that they would sense your heart for them. To bring them to restoration, to wholeness. Jesus, you took our sin. You took our shame. And you've made us new. We love you and worship you. Amen. Amen. We didn't read it in this moment, but... After this woman has this encounter with Jesus, she literally goes back to her town and begins to tell everybody what happened. It's amazing. She's truly changed. She's, she's moved by what Jesus has done. She's she begins to experience restoration with God. But what's amazing is she tells the village of what happened. People come and they encounter the Messiah. And it's not just her that's changed. It's now a whole town. All because one Jesus initiated and engaged. And she responded. Love, follow, share as you love Jesus and follow Jesus. What is it that you naturally desire to do? Share Jesus. And that's what she did. So tell somebody today what God's doing in your life. Post it in the comments. Send us a, a prayer request. Sell us, sell us something great that God's doing. We want to hear what's happening in your life. Wherever city that you're in as you're watching, begin to tell people what God is doing in your life and how He's changed. Amen. And then we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here. Love you.